Thank you, friends. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to serve you this morning. Congratulations. Breath in your lungs this morning. What a privilege you have to worship Jesus. Amen? Man, we have had a great couple of weeks. Thank you, Leslie, for reminding us of what God's been doing the last couple of weeks. Um, City Group Sunday was amazing. We had more people in homes around central Arkansas than we had the Sunday previously. We had more people in homes around central Arkansas than we had a year ago the Sunday before Labor Day. That's something special. Praise God for that. God is doing something in our church. He's helping us to be a people on mission and understand that that doesn't happen on a campus. It happens in our lives where we live, right? And so I'm just so thankful uh, for City Group Sunday, our City Group leaders that have been training, our elders have been leading and coaching. It's been a beautiful uh, last couple of weeks. Last Sunday, thank you for all the people who served. Uh, Yusinia, Yusinia's cousin's with us today. We're so glad he's here. Uh, just Leslie, Daryl, uh, so many people, Mindy, um, just a wonderful, wonderful Sunday together. Of course, the food was amazing, and I hope that our Hispanic family feels loved. Uh, I sure appreciate what God is doing in our Hispanic family, and this is a, a wonderful day to be back in the house together, this house, you're God's house, but this is the house that we meet at here at uh, our campus, and I'm excited to start this new series in the Gospel of Mark. Now, the truth is, we started this series two weeks ago. You started this series in, on City Group Sunday, right? And I want to have a little confession time just for a second. We did, we're doing Discovery Bible studies on those days, and it was, uh, I had you do one verse, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through 34. It was way too much. And I apologize. We're going to do little smaller uh, bite-sized sections of Scripture but uh, thank you for your grace. But I'm excited today to get kind of in the series together in a teaching sense from, uh, from this gospel. We have, uh, as long as I've been here, we've never gone through uh, a gospel. Been here six years in just a couple of weeks. And we've talked through letters and we've talked through a lot of different things. But we've never gone through a gospel. And I'm very excited to take, it's going to take us a while. It's going to take us several months. So bu buckle up, all right. We're going to be in this gospel for a while. And I think it's going to be a great, great blessing uh, to our church. It's already been a great blessing in my life. The way that we like to teach at South City is uh, expository preaching. As much as we can. We don't do it every single time. But I would say probably 85% of the messages that are preached from this pulpit are expository messages. What that is is basically where we know the context of what's happening in this story. We know what's happening even in that time period that it was uh, written to, the audience it was written to. What was God trying to say to those people? And then also, what's he trying to say to us? And so we take God's word verse by verse because we believe every single verse of the word of God is powerful, will not return void, right? Has, has power to change us and to send us on mission. And so we want to take every verse of the gospel of Mark over the next several months and really dig it out and find out what God wants to speak to us. Now this is important. I want to just mention this. It's important that you're a part of a city group. You hear us talk about them all the time. We are not a church um, uh, just with some groups. Our church is made up of city groups. That's what our church is. It's a bunch of city groups. And if you're not a part of a city group, you won't get all of the teaching of Mark. 
As we do City Group Sunday, some of that teaching will happen in those groups all around Central Arkansas. About 25% of this gospel will be taught in those groups. So get, a part, get to be a part of one of those groups, probably where you live. We have them all the way from Conway to Benton. And I, and I, I would encourage you just to find one soon. There's a TV back there that gives you some more examples and uh, locations where we are. And we can help you find one. Um, three things I want to do this morning, okay? We've got a lot to cover. And I want to just kind of give you that outline before we get started. The first thing I want us to accomplish this morning is I want to give you an introduction to this gospel. I want you to understand what it's about. Uh, why do we choose, how do we choose certain texts of scripture, certain books? What's the deal with Mark? Why did we choose Mark, right? Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit and give you some background on uh, the, the letter itself or on this, uh, this gospel itself. And then secondly, I want us to rewind just a little bit from two weeks ago in your city group. It was a lot to cover, and I want to make sure we cover some of those foundational things that were mentioned in those first 34 verses. And then lastly, and I think we can handle this this morning, we're going to look at one verse. I'm trying to make up for all the too many verses from City Group Sunday. Um, this is my penance for that, and no, I'm just kidding. We're, uh, but, so we're going we're gonna to look at three things this morning. The introduction, of the first part of the chapter, and then one verse, and mainly one thought. But I'll tell you, this week, that one thought has kind of wrecked wrecked me, and uh, it's been a good study in God's Word. So I want to I begin to look at this. First, first thing we do is talk about this intro. As we talk about uh, the Gospel of Mark, I want you to get an understanding of who he is. Um, how do we choose books? Well, our elders get together, we, we pray. Sometimes I'll bring them ideas, sometimes they bring me ideas, and we, we wrestle with this together. Sometimes it's, what, what is our family facing spiritually that we need to cover and what where in God's word can we address those areas because our opinions just don't really matter much but if we can address issues we're dealing with through God's word that's the way we want to do that um, sometimes we look at the culture around us and go hey what's something we need to address culture around us through God's word that we want to do that so that's the way we approach that um, you remember we did the uh, series in Ephesians well, we, we really wanted to focus on our identity in Christ and what God wants of us as a church, right? And immediately we were like, well, Ephesus, uh, you know, Ephesians, the book to the Ephesians, this is the place to do that. Who we are in Christ, what God has called the church to be involved in in mission, this is where we need to go. So we did a series in Ephesians. I went to the elders and said, guys, what are we feeling next? And, the, and two or three of them said, you know, I'm feeling maybe we need to focus on prayer. And as I began to pray about that, I thought, well, who to better learn about prayer from than Jesus himself? God incarnate says, hey, when you pray to me, <laughs> this ought to be how you pray. And so we look through the Lord's prayer, and he helps us understand who he is and, and the mission that he has us on, and so we, we went through that. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, how do we choose the Gospel of Mark? As we're praying through uh, the series and thinking about a gospel, just that God wants to do something new in our church. And how better can we learn of Jesus than to study his life and ministry, his death, his resurrection? And so we wanted to do a study in Mark. Now, there's some things about Mark and, and probably led me uh, to go to Mark instead of just something else. And I want to kind of give you some of that background on uh, Mark. Number one, Mark is what you call a comeback story. Do you like comeback stories? I love them. Rocky right? 
Adrian. I mean, that's the greatest comeback story. Uh, Rudy, Forrest Gump. There's these great stories in movies that show us uh, some of the issue with humanity, which is we make mistakes. We fail. We, we fall. And God in his goodness lifts us up. And thankfully, our future is not determined by our past. And how he wants to use us is not determined by the idiocy of our lives prior to this moment. We can move forward in God's grace. And Mark is a comeback story. And I love that. I'm going to share more about that in just a minute. John Mark is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He's believed to be the same John Mark of the New Testament. Uh, We learn about him from different places. In Acts 12, we did a study through Acts through different summers. In Acts 12, we see uh, Peter comes back to this home. And you remember the story of the the girl who who goes to see that it's Peter at the gate and she forgets to open the gate. You remember that story, some of you? And and, uh, he's still going, hey, I'm still knocking. You didn't open the door. That whole deal, it's kind of funny. She comes back like three times and forgets. She's so excited it's Peter at the gate that she forgets to let him in. Well, the gate is the home of the mother of Mark. Her name is Mary, and she is uh, the mother of Mark. And so we're assuming Mark kind of had some sense of his upbringing around the early church, around the miracles of God, around the apostles, around these amazing things that God is doing in the early church. So that's kind of one of the places that we see Mark. We also might remember in, in Acts 13, End of Acts 12, we see that John Mark goes back to Antioch with uh, Paul and Barnabas. And in Acts 13, uh, the elders of the church at Antioch are praying. They're worshiping. They're fasting. They're seeking the Lord. And he says, he send out Paul and Barnabas on mission. Well, they take with them John Mark on this mission. Maybe to help. Maybe to carry stuff. Maybe to encourage them. Maybe, I don't know what all the, the job responsibilities were, but... As they get about halfway through the mission, before they go to this place called Pamphylia, which could have been sort of a dangerous place, you might remember some of that in the series we did, Mark says, I think I'm done with the missionary life. Mark says, I'm out. I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going back to Mama's house. I'm not really interested in Pamphylia. I've heard some things. Not for me. Mark leaves the mission. This is the dark spot in Mark's life. I've got a few of those, and I'm sure you do as well. Hard to remember, hard to think about the brokenness and the mistakes that you've made, but this was a mistake of Mark. He left the mission and kind of left his cousin, Barnabas, and his dear friend, Paul, high and dry. Now they've got more work to do with less help, right? And so you might remember a little bit further on in uh, Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go on another missionary journey and Paul says, and Barnabas wants John Mark to go again. Paul says, uh-uh. They're not going on this one. Right? Barnabas says, come on. I mean, everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody. Paul says, no. Do you not remember what he did to us? He left us high and dry. And so we have this example of a really broken relationship. And again, I've got some of those in my, my past as well. As, as human beings, we make mistakes and we have broken relationships. We see both of these in the story of Mark. So Paul and Barnabas get into a really difficult rift. They sort of break up, if you will. I mean, they had been partners. It was Barnabas that introduced Paul to the apostles in Jerusalem. It was Barnabas that, that went and found Paul in his hometown and brought him to Antioch to help teach and disciple. They had been together for years. 
They, they did that whole missionary journey together, stoned, beaten. They'd been through thick and thin, and at this point they go, we're going to go separate ways. And it's a sad moment in some ways. In other ways, God uses two teams instead of one. But this is all because of John Mark, right? Uh, a lot of people make the mistake about John Mark and think that he's one of the 12 disciples. I don't know if you've ever been in this position and you say, uh, somebody says, hey, tell me the names of the disciples. And the first place most people go is, I'll see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? If you do that, you're going to get an F on that test. That's a 50% on that test. Two of those people are not one of the 12 disciples or apostles, Luke and Mark. But Mark was around what God was doing in the early church, and we have this story that is a beautiful one. So this is a comeback story because Mark doesn't always stay the rebel. He doesn't always stay the failure. At some point, and we don't, in the Bible, especially with the, the, the letter of, of, of Acts or, or the stories of, of Peter or Paul, they're not about Mark's story, but we get little hints of what happened. Two places in Paul's letters, in Philemon and in Colossians, Paul talks about Mark being a delegate. He's sending letters. He's sending messages to the churches he's planted. Paul is using Mark again on mission. Beautiful. Something happened, right? The next thing we see is um, that Paul tells Timothy in his last letter, 2 Timothy, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11. I think we have it. It says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. I, I just love that. Make sure you get Mark and bring him to me because he's useful to me for ministry. He, God has used him in my ministry before, and I need him again in this last season of my life. What I love about some of this story is, is God is communicating to us that he is the God of healing broken relationships. If you have a broken relationship and Jesus is the Lord of your heart and the Lord of the heart of the person who the broken relationship is with, there's no reason why that can't be reconciled. There's no reason. Hey, even if the person you have a broken relationship with doesn't have Jesus at the center of their life, Paul says in Romans 12, with everything you can do, be at peace with all men. So you can still be at peace. You can still do all that you can towards that broken relationship. Something else we see about Mark is, in spite of his mistake for leaving the missionary journey, what an opportunity this guy has. He becomes very close, not only with Paul, as we, we've seen, but he also becomes very close with Peter. In fact, Peter even calls him my son in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, he's my son. That's, that's a pretty close relationship, right? So Mark's heart has changed somehow. Something has happened in this story in Mark. And he has this opportunity not only to be with Paul, but also to be with Peter. To learn of two, these two giants of disciples. These, these two were apostles. These two were ones who, who had so much knowledge and, and, and gifting, and yet they were ordinary men. The uh, Bishop of Hierapolis in AD 140 said, his name was Papias, and uh, he said that Mark was Peter's interpreter. And that Peter really wanted the story of Jesus' life and death to be told. And so he began to share as much as he could remember. And Mark begins to take it all down and write what we now hold as the gospel of Mark. Mark is believed to be the first of the gospels. Written between 55 AD and 70 AD, most people believe. 
And what's interesting, they believe it's the oldest of the Gospels, and one of the reasons they believe that is because, listen to this, this is interesting. Between Matthew and Luke, all but 31 verses are repeated in their Gospels of Mark. Right? So somehow they, they, they've seen Mark's Gospel, they've been inspired by it, and they cover, maybe they don't copy it exactly, but they cover all of Mark except 31 verses. So we believe that Mark is the first gospel that has been written. It's one of the reasons we wanted to, to do this one. I want to look at just for a moment context. Mark is writing uh, the gospel of Mark from Rome. He's writing in the middle of what is a great persecution. Uh, Nero, you might remember, is uh, Rome burns under Nero. Remember that? He blames Christians for it. And so he starts killing, murdering Christians everywhere. In fact, there's stories, and I mentioned this before because it's horrific, um, but he takes Christians, some, and hangs them on city walls and lights them on fire so that it can light up the city streets. And Christians are fleeing Rome, and they're hiding in catacombs, in, 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 in tombs, and in caves. This is the context of the Gospel of Mark as he writes to a, a church that is, is trying to stay together. Small little house churches all over Rome now fleeing because of the great persecution of Nero. See, Mark writes to these Gentile believers to show them that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah of prophecy. Jesus is also the suffering servant of that prophecy of Isaiah. That they not only suffer, but Jesus has also suffered. It's shorter. It's shorter than any other gospel because he leaves out some things. He leaves out genealogies. He leaves out childhood stories. He leaves out Christ's birth. Uh, he gets straight to the point that this gospel is about the gospel. From the very first verse, Mark says, this is about Jesus Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. In other words, Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. That's what this story is about. Make no mistakes about the gospel of Mark. Let's get right to the action. I like that uh, we were in our city group two weeks ago. My friend Julian was trying to explain, give some context of Mark as he was leading our, our DBS. And he said, you know, and I like the way he put it. He goes, you know, Mark is kind of like a junior high school boys uh, book report. It just goes from action point, action point, action point, and never slows down. It's just like staccato, machine gun style, story, story, story. And it is. And it just shows that Jesus didn't only come and say, I'm Messiah. He proved it in every single day of his life. And today we're going to notice that things begin to change in radical ways around Galilee, where Jesus' ministry is starting. There's no doubt that, that Mark wants to make clear that this story is about the gospel. He's the one first to use the word, the gospel. In the first verse, this is the gospel this is the good news. This is the breaking news of Jesus. He paid it all. This is it. Friends, you're, you're running, you're fleeing, you're afraid. But listen, he paid it all. This is the good news of Jesus. Now listen to how he proved it in the action and truth of his life. Mark shows us more miracles than any other gospel. And he shows us this fast-paced style that's meant to encourage these believers under persecution to let their faith be seen, to let their faith be active, even 
in the middle of suffering, okay? Now I want us to go back just a little bit to the first 34 verses. Now I'm not going to go back over all that, but I want to just highlight a few things because they're foundational to where we're going even today. Thankful to our city group leaders. I know you did a fabulous job on this, and I hope that you really enjoyed this DBS, and those are going to be fun on the first, month, first Sunday of every uh, month in city group Sundays. Uh, also mention this. Peter is basically the eyewitness testimony that Mark has. As he's, as he's spending time with Peter, Peter's giving him the eyewitness testimony that he writes of the gospel of Mark. Now, he gets right to the point with the gospel. Verse 2, he begins to explain that John the Baptist is also part of the prophecy. In other words, when you see this Elijah kind of style character come on the scene, know that Messiah is right behind him. Right? So this is more prophecy being fulfilled. Mark shows that the baptism, at Jesus' baptism, I love this description that Mark gives and, and Peter shares, obviously is that he uses, he uses this Greek word schizo, which means to tear or to rip. When Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water and God rips the sky. For anyone in the area, that would have been kind of a big deal, huh? The sky is ripped and all of a sudden God's voice says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So now we have this scene, this amazing, very important scene where we see the Trinity represented. God the Father speaks God the Son has just been baptized and is starting ministry. And the Spirit lights on Jesus kind of like a dove would. And so we see the Trinity represented. It's important that we see that. The Father is approving and commissioning Jesus in ministry. And the next verse says that the Spirit immediately sends Jesus into the wilderness. So he's obedient to the Spirit and he goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He, 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 basically, this is a battleground, friends. Often we don't think about Jesus in the wilderness as a battleground. Trust me, he was at war with the devil for 40 days. And this was a, a difficult thing, and yet he's victorious, of course. Comes out of the wilderness, and he picks up right where John the Baptist left off in the message. John's message was, repent and believe. And Jesus is able to add a couple of extra points to his message. Jesus' message was a little different than John's in that Jesus' message was, the time is now fulfilled, right? Jesus is saying, I'm here. Messiah is here. God has decided that now is the time for grace. Now is the time for repentance. Friends, we still live in a time, an opportunity for grace. Can I just say that? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, praise God that you are here. There's breath in your lungs, and you are hearing this message today. It's not my message. It's the gospel of Jesus you have an opportunity to not leave this building and not know Jesus. You can surrender your life to him. You can, you can hear his call in your very soul now. The spirit may even be convicting now, drawing you to himself. We still live in a time of grace and opportunity. And the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. And I pray that you would make that truth happen in your life today by your faith in Christ and what he's done for you. So Jesus is preaching this message, and then he calls some of the disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon, as we know as Peter, James, and John. And what I love about this, they're ordinary people, just like me and you, right? These, these guys aren't fancy, uh, educated guys. These are fishermen. And Jesus is calling ordinary people to teach us something, that he can use us just as he used them, right? 
And so he calls these ordinary people and they leave everything behind. They lay down their lives. They lay down their livelihoods to be on mission with Jesus saying, this is the most important thing of our life. And then I want to get into this last little section we covered two weeks ago before we get into this one verse message that we're going to talk about in just a minute. We begin to see Mark really cover the main section or the main theme that's being spoken through the first chapter of Mark, and that's authority. Jesus teaches in the synagogue. He teaches with authority. They notice something different than the other teachers, right? Something's different about this guy. He's teaching with authority. And then he proves it because he sees a man who has a demon, and he casts out that demon. And the, and the people standing around going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's even different than teaching with authority. He, he has authority over demons? And then he tells the demon to shut up, keep quiet. He, he can tell demons to obey? I've had the privilege, and I want to go again one day, but I've had the privilege to be, of being in Capernaum. And there are ruins in Capernaum of this sanctuary, of this story. And it's not very far to the, to the rubble that is what they believe Peter's home to be, the remnants of Peter's home. It's literally as far as from me to our uh, entrance of our fellowship hall, that building right back there. We're not even 50 yards from the, from the synagogue to Peter's home. So Jesus leaves the synagogue, goes to Peter's home, finds Peter's mother-in-law sick, and he heals her. I mean, he's just, he's, he's coming with a force, man. This beautiful beautiful example of what he's doing and he's bringing all this authority over all these things of course the text says that all of Capernaum comes to that house <laughs> we were having dinner the other night and I said girls can you imagine if I could heal people and there were a thousand people standing at our door right now just just go there in your mind our cul-de-sac would be packed people trying to get next right just go heal me please Jesus heals it says he heals many and he sends demons away. I believe he healed every single person. In order for him to have done that, he would have had to stay up late into the night. Because they didn't even show up, it says, until the sun went down. Now, Sunday was amazing. Last Sunday was amazing. But can I just tell you something from a ministry perspective? Ministry days like that are hard days. They're hard days. And I didn't even do much. I was so blessed to just be able to kind of minister to some people and spend time with people and pray with people. Many of you worked your tails off, and you were exhausted and had a good nap probably on Sunday. But I even went home and was exhausted. There's something about ministry days that are physically draining, mentally draining, emotionally draining, and spiritually draining. And I know that the humanity of Jesus in that moment after healing people, who knows till when? Midnight? 1 a.m.? I don't know. That he's exhausted. And at some point, he finishes ministry and he goes to bed, goes to sleep. I want us to take a look this morning at this one verse and see what the Lord would speak to us in it. Mark 1, 35 is our text for today. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Let's do that as well. Can we pray this morning? Father... Lord, we want to take your word this morning, even in just this one verse, and we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. God, may the truth of your word be illuminated to us even now. 
May we sit with what is being implicated here. God, may our hearts be challenged and changed. And would you give us the intentionality that we see in Jesus' life to connect to you. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would lead us to all truth in this verse. That I would get out of your way, God. That I would decrease and you would increase. And that you would give us the courage to be obedient to whatever you say to us today. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Title of the message is Jesus' Authority and Submission. And just for a couple of minutes here, I want us to, to look at this one verse, okay? So far, Mark has communicated probably in a greater detail than any other theme, maybe, throughout these 34, 35 verses that Jesus has what? Authority. Jesus has authority. He has made it clear. Let me, let me just remind you here. He has authority and approval from his Father because God spoke and ripped the sky open to let everybody know. Jesus has authority over the devil's attack and temptation because he won that battle. He came out of the wilderness victorious. Jesus has authority to announce that the time has come. I am here. God's kingdom is here. And we begin to see that taking root and, and doing amazing things throughout Galilee. Jesus has the authority to preach that people should repent. Listen, it's not just authority. He has the uh, credibility. He's the holy one that can look at me and you and go, repent. Right? He's the holy one that can say that. He has the authority to say, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus has the authority to call men, to say, lay down your life. Lay down your livelihood and place me first and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus has the authority over demons and they obey him. He tells them to keep quiet. Jesus has authority over sickness, all kinds of disease. And everybody in the whole town now sees it. Everybody in the whole town now has experienced the kingdom of God. First person. If there's one thing Mark is communicating in this first chapter, it's that Jesus has authority, right? And yet, look at this verse with me. Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, the thing that jumps out to me at this verse is that Jesus has all authority. Mark has made it clear. And this whole week when I was studying through this, I couldn't help but think about Colossians 1, 15. That's, I love that verse. I want to read it to you in the context of thinking about Jesus with all authority. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does Jesus have authority? You better believe he does. He has all authority. He's created everything, even his enemies. He has all authority. And yet after this incredibly busy day, after having all authority and after the exhaustion of his humanity, after literally, one theologian said this and it kind of blew my mind. Begin to picture this in Galilee. Jesus has begun 
the kingdom of God, and he is eradicating sickness and disease and demons. Sometimes we read that and we, we, can't, we can't picture what that means. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie. One of the visual tools sometimes in movies that I really enjoy is sometimes they play a movie that's in black and white. And then something happens, all of a sudden color begins to take place, right? It goes from black and white to color. Like everything changes in the panoramic of color. Friends, I, I don't know if this is a good example or not. But in my mind, I want you to know that Jesus began to step into this world and, and literally eradicate sickness, disease, and demonic influence. All of Galilee is changing drastically. What's happening is the kingdom of God has come from heaven to earth. And it's changing everything. Literally, he's leaving an area and everybody's going, nobody's sick. There's no demonic influence. This is, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For a moment, this area where Jesus is doing this unbelievable work is like heaven on earth because the kingdom has come. He's exhausted, and this is what just kind of blows my mind. Even though he's exhausted, he chooses to get up and surrender to the Father. Jesus, with all authority, intentionally wakes up to surrender to the Father. Friends, can I just ask you this? Jesus had all authority to do these amazing things, and yet he submits to the Father. Do we do that? Do we appreciate this privilege we have to approach the throne of holy God himself, that we get intentional about our prayer. Because let me tell you what I do. After a hard ministry day, ministry day I go, well, I'm sleeping in tomorrow, buddy. I'm going home to take a nap today. I, I may take off tomorrow. I, right? Isn't that what we do in our human nature? But what Jesus is communicating is that our greatest need is not rest. Our greatest need is not to take it easy. Our greatest need in life is to be with the Father. That's it. And I, I, as I looked at this, I was, I was so convicted. Because if prayer was that important to Jesus who had all authority, how much more important should it be to us? Martin Luther said this reformer of the 1500s he said if i fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning the devil gets the victory through my day <laughs> he says i have so much business i cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer what what luther is saying is on a normal day i'm going to spend two hours in prayer it's just a minimum okay but if i'm really really busy i got to spend three hours in prayer that does not sound like me nor, I mean, it's backwards, right? Normally I go, if I'm really busy, Lord, how about we put this off till later and I'll come back and I'll, we'll spend, I'll do the relationship thing with you and I'm going to do relationship with you. Isn't that what we do? If we're busy, we, we do everything else but spend time with God. If we're busy, everything else is more important than our relationship to God. 
Why is the first thing in our lives to go from our schedule time with God? Our relationship with God. And we have no excuse, even if you're exhausted. We gotta change, we gotta flip the script, friends, and understand it's not rest. It's not scrolling through social media, God forbid. It's not flipping the channel and going to the movies or just vegging out. No. The greatest need you have in your soul is to spend time with the Father. Jesus begins his ministry here. And we see that he is so dependent upon the Father. He's intentional about prayer. Right? Everything in his life, everything in his ministry is connected to, to wanting to do God's will. This is the pattern of his life. John 5, 19, Jesus says this to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Is that as convicting to you as it is to me? Jesus says, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. This is Jesus. And you think you're going to accomplish something? I think I'm going to accomplish something? No, friends. As we start this study, as we begin this series in Mark, I'm just telling you, I feel so convicted for us as a family to make prayer the priority of our lives. Can we just say, God, on this new series, kids have started school, feels like a new ministry year, we're starting a new series, it's going to take us several months, God's doing special things in our church, God, would you make us a people of prayer, that we value that over any other work, over any other rest, over any other whatever things we think we need, and let's pray, God, seeking you, knowing you, surrendering to you. Jesus said he can do nothing without the Father, and neither can we. In fact, Jesus said this, Several chapters later, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Not a thing. You can't do anything. I can't do anything. And yet the first thing to go in my schedule is God. The first thing to go in many of our schedules is time with Jesus, time to pray. Believers, we need to be present, present with your family, present with the Lord. It matters. In fact, I would just ask this question. Do you want your life to matter? Do you? Is it important to you that, that what you do in your life is effective with your children, with your family, with your spouse? with your work, with the ministry God has given you? Does it matter? Is, is it important? Then if it is, friends, we have to abide in Jesus. What is intentional? Because we see Jesus get up before dark intentionally. What is intentional, committed, connected prayer look like for your life? What needs to change today? What needs to start today? What alarm needs to be set on your phone today that you can get intentional and connected to Jesus? 
Because the thing that the Lord has laid on my heart this morning, friends, is that the effectiveness of our lives is limited to our faithfulness in prayer. I'll say that again. The effectiveness of our lives is limited to our faithfulness in prayer. Is that who we are? We learned in the GPS series that this life is not my own. We use the word history, and we've broken it up before and said, no, 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 it's his story. Paul says, I'm bought with a price. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, yet Christ lives in me. This is not my life. Lord, I want to be so surrendered and connected to you. I want to know what you're doing. I want to be able to join you where you're working. We must be surrendered to his heart. We must be connected to his word and to his mission. And the only way to do that is to be in his word and connected to the Father. That's it. Is that you? Is it me? Because I promise you, there's no end to what God can do through a family committed to God's word and to prayer. Ordinary people just like the disciples, you and me, God can use for his glory greatly. Would you make that a commitment this morning? We're going to close. And I just want to, I want to mention this last verse. Jesus said, Matthew 11, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. This is who Jesus is. He wants to give you rest, but it won't come like you always thought it did. It won't come in watching the game. That may cause more stress, <laughs> as we learned. It won't come in, in some other area of work or family. Friends, you need real rest. You need Jesus' rest. As Daryl comes, as our king comes, I want to sing this song. And I just want to say, is this a moment in your life where you need to just, maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you just need to get on your knees and say, God, I need to recommit my heart to you. I need to be connected to you in this personal way of prayer and intentionality and mission. Some of you may want to stay right where you are. Maybe you don't know Christ and you don't know how to know him. I would love to, to speak with you. I'll be down here. We have other elders available if more people are here. If you need to talk to somebody, we would love to help you. But let this be a day where at South City's campus, we say, God, we're going to be a people of committed, intentional, serious prayer. We don't want to just gather to be gathering, God. We want our lives to matter, and they won't matter unless we are connected to you, unless we abide in you alone. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that even when you were weary, even when you only had a few hours of sleep, you found it important to surrender your authority and all that you were to be with the Father. What does that speak to me, God? What does it speak to the, the list of my life or the work of my life or the, the busyness in my life? Lord, may I be intentional to fall before your throne and say, God, I need you. Speak to me. Because I believe in you, God. My life is in you, Lord. I trust you. And on these truths I stand and will live my life. 
God, move in this place in our hearts. Do a work that only you can do, I pray. Call us to be a people of prayer. Help us to have a comeback story. In Jesus' precious name.